Genesis 18, we'll begin reading in verse 20. We'll read all the way down through verse 33. The Bible says, The Lord said, Because the craft of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, because their sin is very grievous, I'll go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come unto me. And if not, I will know. The men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom, but Abram stood yet before the Lord. And Abram drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which in but dust and ashes. Peradventure there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for the lack of five? And he said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. And he spake unto him yet again, said Peradventure, There should be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And he said to him, oh, Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure there should be thirty be found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, peradventure. There should be twenty found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for twenty's sake. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure ten should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left, communing with Abraham. And Abraham returned unto his place. I want you to picture for just a moment what is taking place in this passage. Uh, three angels of the Lord show up at Abraham's door. He realizes, we actually see it in Scripture, Theophany. One is God appearing to Abraham. And he's come down to verify in his justice the wickedness of Sodom, and Abraham is going to begin to plead, a very famous portion of Scripture where Abraham will plead for the salvation of Sodom more than anything for the salvation of Lot and his family. Now, we know that in Scripture, Sodom sets the standard for wickedness in all the Bible, an extremely wicked city, sodomy, when we see what is taking place in our country, the absolute debauchery the sexual perversion, the flaunting of that which we once thought to be abnormal, despicable behavior now is not only considered normal, but being promoted. And the church, if, if you think that Austin is more wicked than cities of the past, I would argue with you because when God defines this city and their wickedness in chapter 19, it still makes Christians blush to consider what took place. And uh, even after smitten with blindness, the Bible says in chapter 19, these sexual perverts wearied themselves trying to find Lot's house, Lot's door to defile themselves uh, with these angels. And God is, is talking in verse 20. He makes a very curious statement in verse 20. The Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great. The cry out. What was that cry? I believe that Lot was part of that cry. Lot was vexed. 
He was crying out. And God says there, sin is very grievous. Now, Lot's cry and Abraham's cry is very different. Abraham here, when he hears about what God is going to do, and in verse 17, the Bible says, The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Should I keep him in ignorance that I'm about ready to destroy this city for their wickedness? And we'll see why he does not hide that. And it is important to understand, God is always with his prophets, giving them a revelation prematurely to what was taking place. And he's going to share with Abraham what he's about ready to do to this city. And Abraham will begin to plead for Sodom. He'll begin to plead for Lot and for his family. When he thinks, I don't know how many years it had been since he had seen Lot and his family. When we talked about those little kids, those nephews that ran around and called him uncle. Now being destroyed in a city with all its wicked inhabitants. Uh, we see that there was some level of confidence in Abraham, or excuse me, Abraham in Lot, that he had at least introduced his family to God. Most likely, uh, Lot had found his wife there in Egypt. Uh, we're talking about someone with no knowledge of God. His children had been raised in a very vile circumstance. But when he starts at 50, now this, there are so many things in this passage that uh, will never be explained uh, to our satisfaction. Why would he start at 50? Maybe he thought in his mind, let's just start high and work our way low because I'm just hoping there's 10. But maybe he thought, Lot has been some kind of witness for God and his greatness. Maybe there are a handful of people that he's won, but I believe the more he considered it, the greater he dropped those numbers. Until he reached 10, simply because he knew Lot had two daughters, yet unmarried, two that were married, and he mentions their husbands here. So he says, certainly if he just reached that tight inner circle, those closest to him in his house, there will be 10 people that was Abraham's confidence. I believe God's confidence was the exact opposite. Yeah. Lot has not been a light under any circumstance. There's just a few. We don't know if anyone outside of Lot was a true believer in God. But Abraham will beg and plead for the salvation, at least of Lot, the righteous in this city. And we see Lot doing the opposite. Now, here's what I want to mention to you, capital city. I want to mention to you, never losing your burden for Sodom. We're living in Sodom and it's easy to do what Lot did. I'm fearful that there are many more. I'm not fearful. I'm convinced there are many more Christians living just like Lot than living like Abraham. Simply vexed. Keep your finger here and go with me to 2 Peter. Just a reminder, everyone knows the text. But I believe it's important to reread it one more time. 2 Peter Chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. Turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, he condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly of the justice and the judgment in the wrath of God against sin. Look what it says, verse 7. But he delivered just lot. It doesn't talk about a just wife or just daughters. 
He talked about a justified lot vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous, now do understand the difference between holiness and righteousness. Holiness is something that we should be concerned about in our daily lives, living more and more conformed to the image of God. That's holiness. Righteousness is a gift of God at salvation. How many of you remember the day of your salvation when you were made righteous through Jesus Christ? Through no work, no effort of your own, that was a free gift. And although we understand salvation in the New Testament is different than men's belief in God in the Old Testament, we do understand he was a righteous man in God's eyes. But seeing and hearing, it says once again, vexed his righteous soul from day to day. And here's what we have. I believe when it says the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great. Here's what we have in this chapter, two cries. Abraham crying for the salvation of Lot and the righteous in the city. And Lot crying out to God simply because his city was so filthy, so rotten, so vile. Every day he'd have to get up and deal with it. And church, here's what I'm fearful of. Many are living just like Lot. And Lot, at one point, we know the argument over the, the cattle and the sheep and the herds and what to do. And Lot made a choice to go by way of what would be best for him financially instead of spiritually. He got down there and over time, we understand his faith was never that strong, but it became weakened in Church, I hope you understand living in this world and dealing with this world every day is an attack on your faith. And if you're not every day in this book and every day growing closer to the Holy Spirit of God and staying faithful in church, it is so easy to have your faith weakened. And it got to the point where his focus was more on the material. His walk with God was absolutely non-important. And uh, I believe this, he became so indebted. By the time you buy a travel trailer, by the time you buy a boat, by the time you owe on two vehicles and you have a mortgage on a house, you'd say, there are light things I'd like to do for God. I'd, I'd like to get out of this city. I'd like to get out of this circumstance. But he couldn't. I believe every day he went to work, he was vexed. I have to make this money because of financial decisions that I've made. I have to live this life now to pay the bills. And it's those little kids, he, he never understood what would happen in this environment. As those little kids became teenagers, defiled in the world, defiled in their circumstances, defiled in the school system. And he, he watched now as those girls that he once thought were innocent and pure, the way they dressed, the way they acted, their conversations, their friendships, the, the girls that they begin to bring home, their boyfriends. He was vexed by everything in their life, but he said, I'm the one that created this life for them. These were my decisions that have put them in this house and in this lifestyle and he's trapped with no way out. And here's what we see in Christianity. It's not just one giant leap. Normally it's an excuse after an excuse and normally it revolves around finances and usually the husband, instead of focusing on being the spiritual provider, is focused on being the financial provider and the next thing you know, his obligations financially override his obligations spiritually. Uh, and about the time those kids are 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, he begins to see the effects of his decision making. And he can't undo it. Vexed because he can't put that car in reverse. 
Vexed because he knows where this is going. Vexed because he sees clearly in his mind the future of his children. Vexed because he knows these were my decisions, their consequences. Now he's living vexed. Vexed like a man with an addiction. That wakes up and says, today is going to be a new day. Today I'll make a new path. Today I'm going to break free from the chains. And yet he wakes up to the same poor decisions, to the same mistakes, to the same desires. And he can't break free. Many Christians are living that same way. Vexed. And here's what we do, Christians. Instead of reaching the lost and praying for the lost, we wake up and we look at our city. And we look at the hairstyles. We look at the the kids that don't know... I read an article yesterday about fursons. I said, fursen? What is a... They invent every children that identify as cats. And now we're going to have to educate our children and our teachers about... We've lost our minds. You, You can't wake up and declare yourself to be an elephant. A dog, a hog, or a frog. God determined you to be a people, not a person. You're a person. And to pretend to play those games. I I, I talked to my nephew about a a guy that was at his work. And we're talking about a grown adult that claimed to be a pterodactyl. And he had to pretend and watch him eat his lunch as he brought nearly raw meat and without his hands. Played with his food. These people are out of their minds. I can't play those games. I refuse to play those kind of games. But here's what happens. You can either live vexed or you can cry out to God in heaven for their souls. And every week we're challenged yesterday. I was telling my wife I didn't have a good day of visits and I... I went to the gas station, quickly put some air in my tires, and here was a man, homeless, but he, he seemed normal, which in this city is very abnormal. Between the insanity and the drug abuse and everything else. And uh, so I began holding a conversation with him. I asked him about his youth and the absence of a dad in his home. And he said he'd worked a normal job and had a normal business and gotten a bad relationship. The next thing you know, he's in drugs. And he ends up homeless. And we go through all this conversation. It seems so normal. I mean, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And intermittently he would say something that made no sense. But uh, I'm thinking here's someone that might actually be reachable. We got through some gospel. And I prayed with him at the end. Here's a, here's a man without a shirt. And he, he's, I give him a little money. Made him promise me. Now, you guys know this is... This is only a couple times a year, but if you think someone's normal enough to hand the money. I made the promise. I made a promise. Please don't spend this on cigarettes or booze. This is to grab a meal. And when I finished praying, uh, he, he made this statement. He said, now, you do know I'm a celestial being. all of that now hold on it gets better he said now on this earth we all look like humans but I'm a celestial being so I turned to get in my truck I said I didn't get your name he said I'm Jesus 
I said, I'm going to stand behind this car. Can someone just run over me on the way out of this parking lot? (laughs) Now, here's what happens. When you have a circumstance like that, you live more like Lot than Abraham. You just live vexed all over again. You, you, you think, okay, I, I, I have a moment here maybe where, where, where someone's not as crazy as you think. And then there's a revelation. They're crazier than you think. <laughs> this world is insane. And you've got to live in it. I mean, how many of you remember you grew up in a different era, in a different town, in a different time when people actually acted normal and their kids acted normal and there was decency and people respected the police and kids respected authority and and employees respected their boss. It was just a different day. You didn't walk into the grocery store and see people stealing midday blatantly openly knowing there would be no repercussions and times have changed and if we're not careful we become just like lot where we've adjusted our lives so much now we're forced into this world and being around 24 7 because of financial decisions and life's responsibilities And instead of seeing lost souls, we see an aggravation because of insanity. And I'm fearful that the church has even reached a point where they feel like this world is beyond the reach of God's grace. Go go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 for just a moment. And here's Lot. He's told this city will be destroyed. He doesn't weep. He does not pray. It's a man from the outside. You know what? Before we go to 1 Corinthians 6, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15, verse 34. Awake to righteousness and not. Now look at the next two phrases. These are powerful. For some have not the knowledge of God, and I speak this to your shame. Church, I, I need you to understand something. This is Paul. Speaking to church at Corinth, he had planted this church. Okay, we're talking about a city at this time, about 600,000. About 400,000 slaves. Now, back in Paul's day there in Rome, this wasn't based on your skin color. This was based on Rome's conquests. And you have this huge city, Paul that started church. The church only about three years old. They have no tracks. They have no transportation. They have bu- no bus ministry. They probably have no permanent building. They have no completed Bible. They don't have the New Testament. They don't have a radio ministry. They don't have a TV ministry. And yet Paul looked at this church that is three years old, and he said, when I look out over that city of 600,000 people, there are many faces in that city that have never heard of Christ. They have no knowledge of God. And I say this three years in to your shame. What would he say of capital city? 35 years in this city. How many people all across this city still have no knowledge of God because we haven't managed to find a way to get them. And we have buses, we have tracks and we have online and we have websites and we have everything at our disposal. God looked at Lot and said, you've been here for how many years, how many decades? And these people in your own family have absolutely no knowledge of God. 
And I believe in Lot's mind, he looked out at the reprobates in his city and said, there's no use even trying. Maybe he first attempted those first couple of years to mention a few, but after he was laughed off and scoffed, he stopped trying. Now go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Church, if there's not some serious continued compassion because it's easy to grow cold. You look at Christ, Luke 19, 41, and it says when he was coming here to Jerusalem, he beheld the city and he wept over it. In that sister text, Matthew 23, 37, you know what he says? That, looking at the city, what did he say? Thou that killest the prophets. That city had become so reprobate. At some point in the tribulation, Jerusalem is going to be referred to as Sodom and Gomorrah because of its level of wickedness. But Christ was broken over that city and church. Here's what we have to be careful of growing cold because of the wickedness of our neighborhoods. How many of you used to go downtown and used to consider it a, a pleasure to walk downtown or eat downtown? How many of you stopped because you said, I just can't do it anymore? I, there's no reason for us to go downtown. The lewdness. The debauchery, the homosexuality, the transgender lifestyle, the sin in your face, the nakedness, the nudity, all of that gives me good reason to have no desire to be downtown Austin. But if that, if that gives me a cold heart, I have a spiritual problem. Look what it says, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. No, eat not that the unrighteous should not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And Christ would say amen to that. There's no way for that kind of wickedness to get into the kingdom of heaven. Hold on for a second, but we forget verse 11. Such were some of you. Now, now, such were some of you, but you're washed, you're sanctified. You are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, hold, on, hold on for a second. Let's go back to the top of the phrase, page. Nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor what? Effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, homosexuality, sexual perversion, but such were some of you. Now I know that's vexing. Here's what happened. Lot goes over the course of time. He, he now has wandered farther from God, but he's watched his children take the path of the wicked. He's waking up every day vexed. I believe he's the one crying out to God, God, how in the world can this city be this vile? He's like the average Christian that wanders around Austin and said, how can this city be this vile? Not passing out a track, not witnessing at work, not telling anyone about Jesus Christ, simply complaining about the sin-sick city in which we live. Yeah. Look at these people say, why bother to witness they're probably unreachable anyways. Several weeks ago, I heard a pastor talk about the works and prison ministries being in California and meeting Tex Watson. For those of you that don't remember, Tex Watson was part of the Manson family. 
when that murder of eight took place, vile, despicable crime, uh, many of those stabbed endlessly. He stabbed one of those victims 28 times. Personally, stabbed many of them. Went to prison, heard the gospel, got saved. And this pastor talked about how he met him personally, heard his testimony, and saw the decades of ministry that he's had in prison. Now, I haven't met him. I don't know. I know he's written a book, and I know he started a ministry. And I, many would look at someone that vile and say, it is impossible. It is impossible. Uh, Sharon Tate's own daughter, I believe it was her daughter, uh, ended up getting saved and and meeting with Tex Watson and, and reconciling with Tex Watson. And then people don't understand that kind of thing. It's, it's a struggle for us to grasp that the grace of God can reach any man anywhere at any time. In church, if we're not careful, we're going to live a whole lot more like Lot, simply looking at our wicked city and trying to wash our hands. And every day as it becomes more and more vile, if we're not careful, our heart can become more and more hard. Maybe these are days that require that we open up the book of Jonah and realize we're living just like a man that we've criticized for decades and saying he ran from Nineveh and said, God, if you would save them, I wish you wouldn't save them. And when those those guys heard the message and the king said, we're going to fast and repent, even the animals, the cows and the sheep are going to fast and repent. And then he said this phrase, who can tell? Who can tell if God might have mercy on us and forgive us? And he did. And when he did, Jonah said, these people are too vile to be considered for the grace of God. And that's Christianity today, living in this wicked world. As we walk around, we're vexed. And next thing you know, uh, we're losing. I, I believe this. If you are not a witness in this day and age, you will ultimately lose your kids to the world. And Lot was silenced. And it wasn't, hold on for a second. We talked about the sin of Sodom that condemned the city. No, it was the sin of silence that condemned the city. Because God said, if there are ten. Here's the value that God places on the righteous. If there are ten. Ten. Consider it, Christians. What a small percentage of that city. And God said, if there are but ten. I, I believe that, that God has not brought down his judgment yet on this nation. When you consider how vile we have become. We're so opposed to everything that is biblical and everything that is godly. Why is it that we have not faced the full wrath of God? I believe our politicians are part of our judgment. I believe God's hand of judgment. Why haven't we been destroyed yet? Why, Why haven't we seen the absolute destruction of this nation? I believe it is because there are enough righteous left. There is a remnant that is left and we as Christians ought to be growing that remnant instead of walking around just like Lot and bemoaning what has taken place while he has yet to even reach his own children. How can you bemoan the wickedness of our society if you're doing nothing to reach them? 
And Abraham was not even living there. Here's the problem. It's usually not the people in the city that are praying for the city, but those outside. And Lot never lifted up one word of prayer. Go with me to 1 Timothy 1.9. Look what Paul said, knowing this, that the law... He's not made for the righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly, for sinners, for unholy, for profane. He's listing here the most wicked sins that possibly be committed. What's he saying? For murders of fathers and murders of mothers? When you read a story of a kid that kills a parent, there's nothing more despicable than that. Whoremongers. Those that defile themselves with mankind, we're talking about homosexuality, men stealers, liar. We, we talk about the gross sin of human trafficking. All these sins are mentioned here. And then look what Paul says. According to the glorious gospel, the which was committed to my trust. He said, God's given me the gospel. He's committed to meet the gospel to reach these kind of people. And I thank God that he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Verse 13, then he confesses. He said, before I was a blasphemer and a persecutor, injurious, but I obtained mercy. Verse 14, the grace of our Lord was what? Exceeding abundant despite my sin. And then look what he says in verse 15. He lists all these sins. And then he says, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all expectation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of what? He said, I'm chief of all those sins I just listed, all those despicable things, the most despicable acts we can think of that man would commit. He said, I'm chief, and God saved me. Amen. Church, when we look out at this world, we got to say, God's grace can reach even that person. Otherwise, we simply leave, live anchored and vexed, and frustrated and crying, Lord Jesus. There's a selfishness that says, Lord, come quickly. Not because we love him and we love his return, but we love the escape hatch and the judgment of the wicked. Had Abram been the average Christian, he would have said, God, you're going to send down fire. Would you just go ahead and do it now? Lot should be included anyways because of the way he treated me and the problems that he caused me. And after all the favors that I did him, he's not returned any favor. Now, go back with me to Genesis 18, and we'll finish. Why should we intercede? Church, let me ask you this. As I studied yesterday, I took time, once again, drive around Austin, go down some streets I've never been down, stop in places I've never stopped, and pray, sometimes in the car, sometimes I'd climb out, several times I just kneeled right there on the sidewalk. God, there's a city here that's becoming more wicked. But don't we hold part of the blame, Capital City? How much time as we have a, as a collective body? If we have 550, 600 regular members between English church and Spanish church, how many hours were spent on our needs for our city this week? How can we point the finger and yell and... and Throw the blame and crowd against the wickedness like Lot, and yet never once crowd for their souls. Here's what intercessory prayer does it extends the period of grace. I believe there are people sitting in here this morning that are not saved, and the only reason you're not in hell is because someone is praying for you. God said, I'm going to give them another day. 
I'm going to give them another chance. I'm going to give them another Sunday. God may not give you another Sunday, but he's at least given you this Sunday. He's at least given you this moment. There are teenagers in here. There are young people in here. You've heard the gospel. You've refused the gospel. You've delayed in responding to the gospel. But you have a friend or a brother or a family member or someone unknown, maybe a pastor, that is praying for your soul. And the only reason your heart hasn't stopped beating, the only reason you're not burning in the eternal damnation of hell at this very moment is because someone is praying for you. And here's what happened. Abraham begins to pray. He prays for Lot. He 50, Lord, 40, 30. God, don't be upset. I know you're going to do justice and judgment. Here's what I believe. If we're going to truly have compassion, look what it says, verse 20. The Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, because their sin is very grievous. I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it. Why, why would God come down? Is he not omniscient? I believe God is willfully ignorant concerning sin on the earth, not willfully knowing every detail. He's a holy God, but he's also a just God. And he says, in order to do justice and judgment, we've got to have all the facts. And he comes down. He will not go into Sodom. Two angels will go into Sodom. We'll see whether or not they've done it all together according to the cry which is coming to me. I believe that was Lot's cry. And if not, I'll know. The men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom. But Abraham did what? How many Christians are standing yet before the Lord? Church, how many Christians are standing yet before the Lord? In 2023. I'm not asking if there was a time in the past when you actually interceded in behalf of a lost person. Maybe you had a unsaved child, unsaved teenager, unsaved father, unsaved mother, uncle, and you were brokenhearted for their soul. And there were times when you used to pray for them. But now, go weeks and months. Can you even point to the last time you lay down brokenhearted over souls of men or over this city or over your, your boss or the eternal destiny of your neighbor and said, oh God, they will burn in hell unless they turn and repent. We don't have very many Christians standing before the Lord because we don't have very many Christians walking with God. Hard to share his mindset when you're mixed more on the world than you are spending time with the Lord Jesus Christ. When you understand verse 17, the Lord said, I shall hide this. Shall I hide this thing from Abraham, which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall what? Surely become a great and mighty nation. And the earth shall, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Church, here's why we have to intercede. We've got to understand this is the source of God's blessing. And God uses his people and God uses his church to bless. We understand Israel, that's a different thing altogether. I, I believe most of you have been saved long enough to understand the difference between Israel and the church. We understand that. Yeah. Yes, but God is blessing the world right now. Through Israel, and God is blessing the world right now through his church. This is how the gospel is propagated. Israel's not propagating the gospel. The church is propagating the gospel. And if we think that this city has any other hope, and you worry about the mayor, and the mayor is not going to fix this city. And you worry about the city council, and the city council is not going to fix this city. And you worry about the governor, and the governor is not going to fix his city. 
You know what's going to fix his city? When the church of the Lord Jesus Christ gets concerned, truly, wholeheartedly, prayerfully concerned about the souls in this city. And here's what happens. A pastor can stand up and beat this drum. And half the church this morning is dead asleep. Physically and spirit, this church right here, one of the best churches in the half this church is dead asleep physically and spiritually this morning and will never even hear this. It, it will never go past your ears to your heart. You walk out in a greater hurry than ever before to get your lunch. You'll forget the text that was even read this morning. And whatever the Holy Spirit is trying to say to you will never ever become part of your life because your life is the life of Lot that says, I am vexed. Yeah. And you should be vexed if you have a righteous soul. Yeah. But are you moved to say it's time for me to plead? Yeah. Good preacher. Here's what happens. God's going to answer this prayer. Look what it says in chapter 19. You see how God hates sin and how he wants to rescue. Church, let me just remind you of something. God's justice demands that the lost go to hell. If they don't repent, they don't accept Christ. But God is not in a hurry to send anyone there. God has never been in a hurry. He just gives time and he gives grace and he gives more time. And I don't know how many times I thought, why would God be that patient? That's the grace of God. Look what it says, Genesis 19, verse 29. It came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain. What's the next phrase say? God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst to the overthrow. God answered his prayer. You say, Pastor, how did God answer his prayer if the cities were destroyed? First of all, God made a promise. If there are ten, I will not destroy the cities. There were not ten. Abraham, your confidence in Lot and his voice in the city is overestimated because Lot is like the majority of Christian city and Capital City Baptist Church. You live in Austin for 30 years and ultimately there's no impact your life on your city because of your silence. I say this to our shame. Talk about your impact. You've been saved five years. Talk about your impact. You've been saved 20. Talk about your impact. You've been saved 30. Talk about your impact. Is it any greater than Lot's? Are your kids saved and serving God? Have you even started there? Does it extend beyond your, immediately, your immediate family? Yeah. Does it go beyond? The, he started at 50. You know what he said? Lot certainly won his family and won 40 more. How many Christians won 40 more over the course of their life? Maybe he's won 30. Then he got to thinking about it. Maybe he's won 20. I wonder if someone asked me, name me the member of your church that won 40. That 130, I'd have to say, shrink the number, shrink the number, shrink the number, save for decades, shrink the number. Church, I want to shake you this morning. We've got to consider the time that we have left in the city that we live in and say, this is not an unreachable city because of the grace of God. Every man is reachable. The problem is, is our heart reachable? Are we soft enough to fall on our, fla- our faces? Look what it says in Ezekiel 22. God answered that prayer. 
here's why I'd say God answered that prayer. As far as we know, Bible confirmation, there was one just man in that city, and it was Lot. I doubt his wife was a true believer. She became a pillar of salt. I doubt his two daughters. Do you remember what the Bible says the angels had to do with his family? They said, we are going to destroy this city with fire and brimstone. Nothing will survive. And his family said, who cares? We're staying put. Those angels literally grabbed those girls by the hand and pulled them out, stumbling and bumbling. You know, if God himself came to Austin, Texas and tried to pull you out of your life and lifestyle, the average Christian, he would have to have angels grab you by the hand. If you try to convince me these two girls that would commit incest with their father by getting him drunk were believers, not convincing me. Here's how I believe Abraham's intercessory prayer was answered by God. God said, Abe, I hate to tell you the bad news. You said if there were but ten, there's one. And because of your prayer, I'm going to rescue him and I'm going to pull his wife out. Now, she's going to destroy herself through disobedience. And I'll pull your daughters out, and they're going to pull, they're going to destroy themselves through incest. And those grandkids are going to be ruined. But Abe, I'm going to answer your prayer. You know what? The Bible didn't even tell us that Abram even knew his prayer was answered. There's no confirmation that he ever saw Lot again. Maybe because the shame of what Lot lost, he never even spoke to Abraham. He was living as a caveman. You know what, church? Too often when we pray for others, our disappointment and frustration is we never see God answer visibly, physically in this lifetime. Here's what I thank God for. How many ministers have left the field, never been able to go back? We've been back 30 times. I've been back 30 times over the past 14 years. And I would have never known. We have teenagers now that are serving God and doing right I look back at our assistant pastor when he first got saved in, in Saguna, our second church. Marriage was a disaster. Kids were a disaster. Now he's pastoring that church. Good home. Great kids. Had I not been able to travel back, I would have never known that God had answered those prayers. The, the little boy, the, the young man that was leading our choir, we'll show you a video of that there in Pachuca. Uh, he was just a little five or six-year-old when we left. Chubby little kid unsaved uh, mom that had no chance of staying in church, didn't even know his own father and now he's leading the choir I would have never known had I not had the advantage of technology and modern transportation which Abraham did not have so he, he might not have never known that his prayer was answered Although Sodom was destroyed. And church, here's what we want to do. We want to get on our faces and cry out to God for Austin, Texas. Not because we're going to visibly see in this lifetime all the effects of our prayers. But by faith we say our duty. If you live in Austin, raise your hand big and high. Or surrounding area. Butica, Bastra. Our obligation is this area. 
How many understand? We're involved in missions, and we're giving a lot of money, and we're helping plant a lot of churches, and we're sending out missionaries, and I thank God for all of that. But we were responsible for us. If you're living here, we were responsible for this city. But let me ask you this. When's the last time you wept over it? When's the last time you were grieved this morning, yesterday, Friday, Thursday, and every other day of the week? Grieved. But grieved spiritually moved to pray? Now look what it says. Ezekiel 22, verse 30. I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap. How many of you have heard this preached? How many times have you been a Christian? You've heard it dozens of times. Stand in the gap, preach at youth conferences. But what's not preached is the context of the verse. He's talking about how far Israel has gotten from God in the impending doom and judgment upon the nation of Israel. And look what he says. Why did he want someone to stand in the gap? That I should not destroy the land. But he's, I need someone who will intercede on behalf of this nation. But I found what? None. None. There are a handful of churches in Austin that preach the gospel. I wonder if God looked at this city, and the wickedness of this city, and the unreached in this city, and then he looked at his churches and said, before I bring judgment on this city, I would like to find righteous that are standing in the gap pleading for an extension of grace. I wonder if God would have to say this week, I looked for a Christian that cried over this city and I found none. Church, I wake up every day like Lot and I long for, I'm only 52, but I long for the days of my childhood. I long for the little town that I grew up in. I long for the problems of my youth, the simplicity of life. The logic that existed back in the day. And too often, I live that 12, 14, 16 16 hour span where I just look and say, I hate this city. Wicked. It's vile. It's dirty. It's repulsive. Sexually perverse. And I guarantee you this, I've spent more time making those statements than I've spent on my face before God. Praying for this city.